We are uh, so thankful to be here tonight, and and uh, I have been told several times tonight, you're amongst friends, you're amongst family, so don't be nervous. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to help me there. <laughs> you're such a blessing. I don't know that it's you that makes me nervous, but uh, thank you for that. I do want to say a few things about the table tonight. And, uh, and then I'll say some things about what the Lord has coming up for us. There's two things on our table that we want you to, to be a part of, and that's obviously our prayer card, and you'll see those there, there on the, back, in the table that's set up in the foyer. And we want each, each one of you to take one of those and just, just remember to pray for our family, and that God would open doors into churches, give us favor with pastors, and that he would also put servicemen and women and even veterans in our path that we can uh, reach with the gospel. I can't even possibly begin, and my wife can attest to this, how many people come to us at every single place we go and say, I was reached by a, uh, a church when I served in this country and in that country and in this part of the United States, in that part of the United States. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a church since February, and it seems like almost every time where somebody has cross paths with Brother Gary Kraft, who is the, him and his wife have been um, doing military missions for over 38 years now, and uh, going to be stepping back from the pastorate, and, and uh, it's just an unbelievable thing to see the connections that God, God has, uh, that God does between the U.S. military, those who serve him, and in the ministry, and uh, I could literally stand here for two hours and, and tell you stories just from February of how people that we have met here and in different places who God has just showed us how the dots have all connected and, um, and it's been pretty unbelievable. Amen. It's been things like that that's really confirmed in our hearts over and over and over and over again that this is, this is God's doing Amen. and it's his call. So our prayer cards, excuse me. I, you know, I wasn't emotional until about a year ago. I don't know what happened. One of the guys said in preaching class, right, I preached the last week of school and he and I was, got emotional in the, the deal and Brother Burkle was there and he said, you know, I appreciate Brother Rob showing emotion because up until this point, I don't think he cried a day. I never thought he cried a day in his life. And uh, I didn't know what, how to take that exactly. If I should have like tightened my jaw and got drill sergeant on him, if I should have went and hugged him and sang Kumbaya with him or something, but... Anyways, that's completely off topic, and that's my ADD talking. So, all right, um, so there's our prayer card, but also you'll see a basket, and in that basket, this is, how I, this is how we want everybody to be involved, even your children. In the basket on our table, is a, uh, is, it's filled with toy soldiers. Now, come on, who doesn't like to play with toy army men? They're army men, by the way. When I bought them on Amazon, it said soldier it didn't say Marine, if Brother Meyer Derricks was in here. It didn't say Sailor or whatever, the, if there is any other branches, I don't know. Uh, I'm just kidding. Got to get my shots when I can. But uh, we, want, we want you to take these. We want, you, we want your children to take these for this reason, to, to pray for our servicemen and women. And I, and I understand, and please don't misunderstand when I say, I want you to pray for their, for their safety, Yes. But more than that, we, we want this to be a reminder when, when you wake up in the morning, man, and you go to shave and you see that serviceman sitting there, that you remember to pray for the, for the souls of our servicemen and women. 
when you, I had a guy, he said, what about the good old boys who have pickup trucks? He said, can we get some Velcro and Velcro to our dash to, remind, to remember to pray for our servicemen and women? Yes, do that. Put them everywhere. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. I was at a church in Arkansas and I knew the pastor very well and, and uh, his son very well. And his son was a youth pastor and he came to me in one of the evening services and he said, I need you to see something. And I was practicing the piano to, to sing that night and he starts flipping through his phone and it's pictures of these army men, like all different kinds of pictures and all different kinds of places. And I said, well, what is that? He said, well, my son went by, his son was probably, I don't know, five years old or so and went by the table and grabbed a big old handful of them and put them in his bag. Now, most of the time parents would say, no, you can't do that. They're probably gonna go play with them. Well, his son had taken these army men and, and put them all over their house on top of the TV, next to his dad's dresser, his nightstand, on the sink, on the windowsill, in the kitchen, and all over the house. He had, this young man, five years old, strategically placed these toy soldiers all over the house. His dad said, no, you can't keep all of these. He said, he said, you can have one, you can take one, that's it. And he said this, but now we can't forget to pray for our soldiers. And his dad told me, he said, how in the world could I, how in the world could I tell him no? And so we have had churches, we've had, we had a church by us 4,500 army men because we don't want to deprive any young person of having a, a toy soldier. But please, but please take them out. It's okay if you play with them, I get it. But, but please remember to pray, young people. And uh, you can pray. You can pray. Just like your parents can pray. And a uh, teenager, you can pray. And uh, we, just, we just ask for that. And um, so... Kaiser Slaughter in Germany is where my wife and I'll be heading. I'll be, I'll be quick. My wife and I and my son and my daughter, we're taking the whole family. And, uh, and uh, it's right outside of uh, Ramstein Air Base is where we'll be targeting is the, is the uh, installation that we'll be at. You saw in the video, there's 800 installations outside the United States. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's 800 fully functional, fully manned uh, bases. But that, what that means is there's 800 different locations all over the world that have some form of military presence on them. Now, whether that's thousands of people or whether that's a, a group of a couple hundred, uh, there is a military presence there. And I'm of the opinion, and I believe I could back it up with the word of God, that where there's people, there needs to be the gospel. And uh, what better way to do that than to start churches? And um, I know that, and we, we said, I said in the video that we can't reach all 800 places across the world. But, but just consider for me just one second, just how the military works and kind of the turnover. And I never really understood this until I got involved at Hillcrest and, and, and even started considering even our own lives and talking to the crafts that that the turnover there is about two to three years. What I mean by that is this, that when a family comes in and they've been stationed at Ramstein Air Base, typically in about a two to three, maybe four year time, you're going you're gonna to go ahead and project that they're going to be shipped out and sent somewhere else. And that could be anywhere across the world. And as we started having talks with the crafts and God started developing just the, the, the burden and the call and really giving 
given vision to what we believe God might be doing and wants to do. I, I, I tried, I, I tried to just to, to be open to God on, on what about a worldview, God? How are we going to have a worldview as a, as a small place with such a high turnover uh, of people and, and it'd be hard to establish churches and large churches at that and to reach people who, who are not going to stay very long. And then he helped me to see the worldview and the world, the, the repercussions of getting folks in and, and seeing them saved and discipled. I mean, an, an intense discipleship and then being immediately shipped out. And I say immediately, I'm talking two or three years, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty quick. And then being shipped all over the world. And if you could just picture in your mind having just one central location and, and Kaiser Slaughter in Germany being that one central location and God allowing us to see folks saved and discipled, maybe just a group of five families. And they get discipled and they get trained and they're sold out to serve God and they want to live for Christ, but they have a duty to their country and the military pays to move them all over the world. And they get plugged in at, a, at another small church who may be struggling like, like, like a one in Kaiser Slaughter in Germany because they have such a high turnover. And they go to their pastor and they say, hey, we, we were just here and we were trained and we can song lead. We can teach Sunday school. We want to go out and knock doors. Boy, what a, what a wonderful thing for a pastor to hear than to have people come into their church, especially a, a, a smaller church or smaller ministry and say, hey, we don't need a whole lot of maintenance. We just, we don't, we're not really high maintenance. We just want to get in and, and start to serve Christ. And, and boy, if, just, just five families. Now that, now multiply that by hundreds of families. I heard uh, over, my wife showed me the video of the, the free day away and the amount of people that, that go through the ministry there in Missouri. Now you, you take that amount of people and, and they get saved and discipled and you spread them all over the world. And now you have a worldview uh, of the gospel being spread from, from corner to corner all the way to the uttermost. Boy, it's just a, a wonderful thing to see. And, and God is, Lord willing, by January, God will allow us to be there in Germany with the crafts. We're still, there's some things that we need to pray for concerning their, um, their residency, having to renew that and, and things like that. If, if they're not able to renew their residency in November, then we will be going in alone. And uh, they won't be there. So um, we're okay with that. That's what the Lord wants. But ideally, we'd like for them to be there to have a smooth transition and to be there for a time to help us. Uh, I, we are so privileged to be God, for God to put us under um, what I would consider the experts in their field and the crafts. And, and it's by God's grace that he's allowed them to be there that long. And their health has been stable enough to, to do it as long as they've done it. And boy, do they sure have a fire still in them to serve Christ. And they're by no means backing down or backing up or slowing up. They're just taking a little different avenue. And we're so excited about that. In Kaiser Slaughter, there's 56 to 60,000 roughly Americans in, in the town of Kaiser Slaughter. And that is out of a 90,000 person population. So it's highly Americanized. There's a lot of military personnel at one time and maybe still be that it may still be the case that Ramstein is the largest facility in Europe. And um, 
And that's definitely quite possible still. So there could be multiple churches planted in that area and in Germany alone where there's definitely multiple, uh, uh, there's definitely more uh, bases there in Germany. So if you could pray, just take our prayer card and, and, and adults take our army men, children take the army men, uh, so toy, toy, the service members, toy soldiers, I don't want to offend anybody, and, uh, and just be in prayer for us. And uh, boy, we're so thankful, and I'll stop now, we'll get into God's word, but I'm so thankful for this church and um, the investment. I was in a meeting with Brother Jeff Abels, and he made a statement, Brother Landy was there, he had made a statement to the church who didn't support us. He said, you've already been supporting these men. Whether you knew it or not, you've already been supporting them because you support Heartland Baptist Bible College. And uh, you've already supported us as a church. You've already invested in, in our lives, in our home, in our children. And we're so thankful for that. And, uh, and uh, we wanted you to know that. So, all right. Enough of my babbling. Let's get into God's word. You know, um, don't, don't stand, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10 in your Bibles. I know when I preached the 10 minute message on college days, I forgot to tell you not to stand. And I'm not sure who stood up when I announced the text. It may have been pastor. And, uh, it seems like my life is, my dad served 22 years in the army and it seems like my life has been inundated. Uh, it seems like everything that, that, that my life has been has been revolved around military some, some way or another. The influence, obviously my dad being <clears throat> 22 years, he retired as a major after desert storm and, and uh, uh, boy, it's just, there, there was nothing more proud for me than to see my dad in uniform. And it didn't happen very often. When he was home, he was home. I didn't hardly see him in his uniform. There were some times that we'd have, uh, now, there were some times that we'd have maybe a special day at church, and that was usually the only time my dad would go to church, was during some special Sunday where he would, we'd have like a 4th of July service, and they'd have all the veterans put their uniforms on, and dad would put his uniform on. And... Uh, and boy, every time I saw that, it just did something to me. Boy, it just stirred me up as a young man. The patriotism and the, the, the pride that my dad showed, he was proud of something. And when I was real young, I didn't really understand what, what, is, what is there to be so, what is there to be so proud of? What, why, why the pride? Why, why do we give so much reverence to these men and, and, and women in the military and then why do we show so much respect for the flag when we see it pass by or when it maybe falls down it's trampled on the ground or and I remember my dad even though he didn't raise us in a Christian home raised us to love our country and love the men and women who served and I remember every time I'd see a serviceman or woman I just boy just well up in me some of you are sitting here right now and it's already welling up in you and you, you know what I'm talking about when you see them and they walk by and sometimes they're, they're real quiet. They don't say anything. Or you walk into a restaurant and you see them sitting there eating and they know that people look at them when they sit down. 
and you, you just want to stare at them. You just want to, you want to look at the, the patches on their arm. You want to look at their hands. And sometimes you just want to sit down and maybe even ask questions. I wonder where they've been. I wonder what they've seen. Maybe it's a, a parent or a grandparent uh, who, who, who has been involved in some conflicts maybe in World War II or Vietnam or some of those, some of those invasion conflicts where they really saw some terrible things and, and it's never been spoken of and you want to sit down and talk and say, just tell me what you've seen. Tell me what you've been through. Tell me about the men that you knew that didn't make it home. And uh, I'm so thankful Pastor Gaddis said it this morning that and uh, Brother Perkle said at Sunday school also that, that Memorial Day is a day for us to remember those who gave their lives. Uh, it really disappoints me that, that we have so commercialized Memorial Day that it's more about a hot dog and a hamburger and a four-day weekend or a three-day weekend than it is about those who shed their blood so that we could stand here tonight and sit here tonight and open God's word. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know it's by God's grace and he's sovereign, he's in control. And, and I, I, please don't, I want to make the connection here that God uses men. And God allows us to be born here in America and have the freedoms that we have. And I'm so thankful for that. Every time I heard taps played, every time I see an American flag draped over the coffin, and a widow draped over the flag. Every time I see a detail fold the flag and hand it to a child and tell them by order of the President of the United States, I issue you this flag and in honor of your parent, your loved one. It just does something to me. As a young man, it, it gave me a it stirred me up to the point where it made me want to serve. It made me have a need to serve. Why, why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't I when I look at a man in a, in a uniform who sacrificed or a lady who sacrificed and, and think, why wouldn't I want to serve a country? or Why wouldn't I want to stand beside someone like that and serve? I'd be proud to do that. I just felt the need to be counted amongst the few to show loyalty to a flag and country in which I dearly loved. It was a need to be a serviceman. You know, according to the Department of Defense, less than 1% of the population will don the uniform of a United States service member in our armed forces at any given point. Now, what I mean is this, that today less than 1% serve. 20 years ago at that time, less than 1% served. And they serve in a capacity above that of the average citizen. I didn't say that they were superheroes or special. I just said they serve in a different capacity. And only a smaller percent of those will give up their lives for the sake of others and will be counted with the one 0.2 million who have done this since the birth of our country. Warfare is a difficult 
thing to deal with. There are many who have stood in the face of pure evil during battle to protect the ones they love. Many have conquered evil and many have fallen, yet they each knew that they were fighting, something they were fighting for was this, was freedom. They were fighting for their home, for their country, for the man or the lady standing next to them, for the thought of an America that was free. You know, many great leaders have stood before men on the eve of battle to, to instruct, warn, give hope, and challenge their men right before the conflict, right before they step across enemy lines. I could think of many great commanders, presidents, generals who have stood in that place in front of a group of men and women and, and try to help them understand and remind them who you are and why you serve and what the cost is going to be. So with that in mind, would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 10? You know, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, 37, 38, we have the verses that, that talk about our, our theme into his harvest. And as I prayed for several weeks now on Lord, what to preach, how do I, how do we talk about missions and then Memorial Day and Lord, what is it that you'd have us to preach? And then I, I started reading even beyond Matthew 9 and Matthew 10. And I do want to say that I don't know that chronologically that, that this happened right after Matthew chapter 9. I can't be dogmatic about it, but I can say this, that there's a great significance about Matthew chapter 10 that that we need to consider in lieu of being into his harvest. And uh, we're going to read just a few verses of Matthew chapter 10. I want to try to paint a picture here that I believe the word of God is painting. And it's not far-fetched to, to, to look at Christian service just like military service. I mean, we can go to Ephesians and we can talk about the armor of God and we can talk about Paul talking to Timothy, how he should be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And there's many references to the Christian life and the servanthood of, of Christians that, that parallel quite a bit with being a serviceman or woman. And in Matthew chapter 10 here, as we begin to read in verse number one, I want you to see that Jesus has gathered his disciples. And it almost has this feel of right before the eve of battle right before they step off across enemy lines by themselves, the commander charges his troops. Let's read in verse number one. The Bible says, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And in the next several verses, he goes and he names the 12 and he talks about the apostleship and how the kind of the transference of here and what's fixing to happen in their lives. And verse five says this, these 12 Jesus sent forth. Now, if you could just flip on over, maybe one more page to, to verse number 34. He said, it's a large jump. Don't worry. Jesus is speaking to his, to his disciples and he says this, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Yeah. 
but a sword. Uh, I've, I've really worked hard on this title, Pastor Gaddis, and, and I want you to, and I have a subtitle. I've titled the message this, Orders on the Eve of Battle. Many are needed, few will go. If we're going to consider into his harvest, he said that we need more laborers. And pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest. He sent for laborers to his harvest. There's many needed. Few will go. Few will be true disciples and go into his harvest. Let's pray together and then I'll have you be seated and we'll get into the message. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for this church and Lord, the lighthouse that it's been for so many years. Thank you for the word of God that's been preached behind this pulpit over and over and over again. And tonight, God, I just ask that you would just move me out of the way, God, and that your spirit would take control. God, and you would keep me from saying anything. Be contrary to your word. Give me unction to preach and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I want you to understand, I want you to, I want you to help tonight along with me and try to paint this picture in your mind of what's taking place. I don't know for, for certain that Jesus is standing above his, his 12 disciples as if he was a commander in troops, but it sure does have that feel as we consider what's fixing to take place or fixing to go out into the world and Jesus fixing to send them forth into ministry. And, and, and when we consider just how many references that there are in the word of God concerning spiritual warfare and concerning uh, being a soldier of Jesus Christ and putting on the armor, we have to understand this, that going into the harvest is not uh, always going to be pleasant and, and easy and, and just sunshine and rainbows. It's warfare. I remember talking to my, my wife's pastor, who's my pastor for several years, Brother Meister. He, he, you may have noticed him in the video. And, and he was in the Marine Corps during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I remember years ago struggling with, should I join the military? Should I continue serving God? Why can't I do both? And he said this. He said, why don't you have the same mindset that a service member has and transfer that into your service for Christ? I thought, well, it's because people don't do that. I mean, we don't walk around and we see Christians in, in the house of God marching to the beat of a drum and serving God and being militant about we don't really hear people a lot talk a whole we don't hear people talk a whole lot about the spiritual warfare that goes on and the struggle that happens. And, and oftentimes I thank God for, for Southwest where we have a, a, a captain, we have our pastor who stands behind the pulpit and he rallies the troops, if you will, and, and, he, and he warns us and he helps us and he exhorts us to, and reminds us to say, hey, that we're going out beyond these doors to, to across the street and around the world to, to get into the harvest and it's a, war, it's a war field, it's a battlefield, it's warfare. And as I see Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, as he called unto him his 12 disciples in verse number one, he gave them power. We equips them. He gives them something that they need in order to, I, I feel like, I just, just picture it with me, just in a war room with Jesus. We're on the eve of battle. 
I got to see uh, a Dr. House, and, and, and just before he kind of he, he come after me about those bars on my on that helmet on my table, it belonged to my dad. I was never a captain, and uh, I was an enlisted guy, which meant I did whatever the captain said, <laughs> and I do whatever Dr. House says too. By the way, I snapped to it real quick. But can you just picture with me real quick tonight? Jesus and his disciples. Now, now, you have to understand, if we go to Mark chapter 8, we go to Luke chapter 14, we can see that his disciples weren't just the ones that were present. There, there, there may have been a multitude of people here, but he's talking to his disciples. And he's telling them, and he's rallying them up. He said, all right, guys, I'm going to give you power against unclean spirits, and he did it. He gave him power to cast out the demons and the devils and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then he sends them forth and he commanded them. And we see in verse number, uh, verse number five, he commands them to go not into the way. We see that, that Jesus gives them a specific place to go. They were, they were given a specific target. Now remember, we're in a battle room. We're right before, we're on the eve of battle. We're fixing to step off behind enemy lines and Jesus has done rallied his troops, the 12, and he's saying, hey, I've given you power. You've got the tools necessary to, to do what you're fixing to go and be faced with. You're fixing to be in a warfare in a battle zone and, and, and you're fixing to go out there and I've given you power. And now you're going to go to this place, this specific place. And what was that place? Well, he said in verse number five, he says to go into the way, go not into the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's very specific in his target. And uh, we're not going to break apart every single verse, but I just want you to kind of see the flow of what's happening here. In verse number seven through verse number 13, he gives them explicit instructions on what their job was supposed to be during that mission. In verse number seven, as, as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, clean the lepers, uh, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have ye received, freely give. Jesus says, rallied his troops. And he's giving them orders. He tells them, in verse number 14, how they're to respond, whether they are well-received or ill-received. We heard a lot about that this morning. How do we're, we're, we're to respond in the face of opposition when it strikes at you? What do you do? How do you handle yourself? How do you handle yourself as a soldier? A quiet professional, they call us. How would you handle yourself as a disciple of Christ. And he tells them, in verse number 14, how to handle that and how to receive them and what's to come of them if they don't receive you right, if you're not well received. That it'd be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see that Jesus kind of gives his details on what's to take place. What are you going to do, disciples? 
what's fixing to happen in your life? When you step into battle, what's going to happen when you go into the harvest? And then he warns his disciples about the hostile environment which they're about to enter. What we see in verse number 16 through verse number 23, here he says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Boy, that's no match. Put a sheep and a wolf in a pen, I guarantee you who's going to win. He said, guys, I'm sending you as sheep against wolves. He goes on to say, you'll be taken, you'll be delivered to the councils and they're going to scourge you. They're going to beat you and whip you for my name's sake. Because you proclaim the gospel, because you're associated with me. Don't think that that's uncommon. What, what, what happens to the master is going to happen to his servants, disciple. It's an environment, it's a hostile territory, an area where children will turn in their parents and brothers against brothers and, and fathers against their children. In verse 21, you'll be hated. They'll all hate you. And they will accuse you as they have accused me. In verse 24 and 25. He's trying to set the stage for what's going to take place. We need laborers into the harvest. So before you go, Understand this. I've given you power. Right. And I'm going to send you force. And I've, given, I've given you a specific target that you're to reach. You're going to go reach the house of Israel. You're going to reach the Jews. But before you go, you need to understand that the, the, the territory and the land that which you're fixing to go into, it's hostile. They hate you. They hate you because of me. They're going to beat you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to try to take your life. Children and parents, fathers and mothers, they're going to turn on each other. It's, it's like sending you to the slaughter to a bunch of wolves. That's where you're going. And then Jesus gives his disciples the assurance of the power of God to watch over them. Verse 26, he says this, Fear them not, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye among the, upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body. And he talks about the sparrows and how God and the Father takes care of the sparrows and God even knows the very hairs on your head. Man, that's something. If he knows the hairs on my head. I used to have hairs on my head. He said, if he knows all of those things and you're above the sparrow, fear not. He's going to take care of you, disciple. Don't be fearful of man, for as God watches over the sparrow, he'll watch over you. He's actively involved in the affairs of his disciples and those who serve him. 
So what's I got to do with Memorial Day? What's I got to do with soldiers? I love, love, love being around servicemen and women. Boy, I tell you, there's just something about them. You ask them to do something, boy, I, I, there's, some, there's some damage that can be done in a good way and a bad way when you ask military people to get something done. Depends on what mood they're in. They can be fierce in battle, but they can also be the best servants that you'll ever come across in your life to get a job done. They can also be the best companions to be around. And on the eve of battle, when you stand next to your brother in arms, you know what you've been equipped with. You've been through basic training. You've been through advanced individual training. You've maybe been through a specialized school like airborne school or ranger assessment program or maybe Green Beret or something of that nature. You're specialized in your field. And you know the area that you're going into. It's probably Afghanistan or, or Iraq. Hostile territory. You really don't have any idea. Maybe it's Vietnam. You have no idea What's, what lies ahead around this corner, that corner, this mountaintop or cave or behind this pile of blood, whatever it is, you don't know. They're mixed in with the civilians. They've well hidden themselves. Be assured, soldier, that, that they're out there to take your life. They're not there to play friends with you. They're there to stop you from liberating that area. Do you see how Christianity and serving Christ is very much like the war zone of, of life and our soldiers that they, and the things that they deal with? And then lastly, this is what I want to focus on real quick and get into our application Jesus summarized what all this means in light of being his disciples on the eve of going into the harvest or the battle. Verse 35, he says this. Or let's go back to verse 34. Think not that I have come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, we have to understand this does not mean that Jesus wants us to not live peaceably with all men. But what he, what he means is this, is that those who are disciples of Jesus Christ will be at variance and we're going to see that. He's going to talk about that. But there's going to be some division that's going to take place for those who are really sold out, for those who are really set apart to serve me and to go into the war zone. There, there's going to be some things that the, the others aren't going to understand. And there's going to be some dividing that's going to happen. That sword, it's going to divide. That sword, Jesus, it's there to separate. It's there to divide. And it's going to take place in your life if you're a disciple your soldier. You're going to be, he said, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be that of his own household. There's going to be division. And then he says this, I've empowered you. I've given you a target I've told you about the place that you're going. 
you know how you're going to be received. Fear not for the Father's with you. He's there to help you. He's going to help you. Well, look what he says here. In verse number 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now we can go to Luke chapter 14. It doesn't use that phrase worthy of me. It says you cannot be my disciple. So in Matthew, it, it uses the statement you're not worthy of me. And I was hung up on that for a little while in the study. Then I remembered a conversation I had with one of our soldiers when, we, when I was in the army. There was a group of us sitting around at a table and we were talking about the army values or seven army values, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And we got down to selfless service, which was talked about this morning. Every one of the guys, as we was going around the room, every one of the guys talked about how they would give their life for the guy next to them. And, and maybe even some of those guys had already been deployed and they, they had already given stories about the, how this guy pulled me out of here or this or that. And, and it was just a great time. It was just, boy, just talk about just pride well in a venue. Man, I'm serving next to my brothers and I know that I can count on the man on my right and count on the man on my left. And then we had one young man who piped up and said, I won't serve selflessly. Can imagine how the air got, I mean, everything changed real quick. So I have here um, two things that we wear on our uniforms, our OCPs, which is our battle uniform. One is my unit patch. It was old, iron, old Ironsides, Fort Bliss. It's an armory unit. I was part of 2-3 Field Artillery, Ford Observer. We wear this on one of our arms to identify who, who, who we were with. And then we'd wear this. This is infrared American flag. It's not the correct one that would go on, but it's the one I had with me. We'd wear, wear an American flag on our other shoulder to identify who we were with. It was also a, a reminder to each and every one of us when we, maybe when we were in battle or where, where something's happening and we look to our right, or we look to our left, we see something that we, that reminds us who and what we're fighting for. You fight for your brothers. You fight for your country. And when this young man said, I will not live and I will not serve selflessly, these men... <laughs> Literally, these men got up and started ripping his patches off of his uniform. They ripped his unit patch off first, said, you don't deserve that. Then they, and they threw it on the ground. Then they ripped off his American flag and said, you don't deserve that either. And we don't want you next to us. If you're not going to be selfless, you're not worthy to wear these patches. You're not worthy to be identified with us in this flag that we carry. And when he says here, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
We go back to Luke 14 and say, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be the 1%. You cannot be amongst those if you're not willing to put everything else aside and everybody else aside. Put yourself aside for the sake of those around you. Well, for this passage of scripture, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of being a disciple of Christ. And he goes even further than that and he says this, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. That's a parallel statement. Now we can go back into Matthew and we talked about it this morning. You can see it in the Sermon on the Mount where, he, where they talk about the law and sometimes deals with physical things and then Jesus brings it into more spiritual things like murder and then hatred within your heart. Yeah, like we don't murder people, yeah, but you haven't really dealt with the hatred either. So he's dealing with the physical and the spiritual here. Obviously, when we look at that and we say, when we, when we take up our cross, we're thinking about giving, we're thinking about martyrdom. We're thinking about giving our life. Acts 1 8, when he, when, he, when he empowers them, he says that they're going to be witnesses. That word witness, if we look up what that word is, it, it, the root word comes from the same word we get the word martyr. It means you're going to die as a witness for the gospel's sake. You're going to give your life. And I, and I love to think in my life that, I, God, I would give my life as I read Fox's Book of Martyrs and when I was a younger man and when I read all these tales of, of, of men like Jim Elliott and all these other people who have given their lives for the gospel's sake. Oh, God, I would be one of those men. God, help me to be one of those men. And that's good when the fire's not at your feet. That's not all he's talking about here. Because obviously those guys aren't going to take up their cross and you have to understand that, that the life of the cross and taking it up means that you are fixing to walk to your death. You are fixing to give your life over. He said not only are you going to give your life, but you're going to give. If you're not willing to take your life right now in your, as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, where he talks about being a living sacrifice, you have to give your life now as if you're taking up that cross and you're following after me. You're, you're living for me. You're forsaking your mother. You're forsaking your father and your best friends and your comfort and your career and your way of life and everything that you hold dear. You're going to give it up. Why? Because I want to set you apart. I'm going to make you part of the 1%. I'm going to make you part of those who really want to be a disciple of me. But you got to forsake all these things. And before you think that's too much, I want you to give your own self, your own comforts, your own ambitions, your own ideals, your own path for yourself. I want you to give all those things up and take up your cross. A dead man. I want you to be dead to those things and I want you to follow me and I'll give you life. I firmly believe that before you can ever give your life for him, you must give your life to him. Boy, it's good to say that I'd, I'd give my life for Jesus. And I'd lay my life down for the sake of the gospel. But those are just words. But if, and God knows my heart, 
the kids, are you a disciple? God knows I want to be. God knows I want to live in a mindset and live in a life that says, God, I'll put everything aside for you. If it means my family, if that's the sacrifice you want me to make, I'll make it. If it means, if it means relationships, if it means careers, if it means finances, if it means all these things, God, I'll put it all down. God knows my heart, and, that, and I guarantee that, that if, you're, if you really want to live for Christ in this room, you'd say the same thing. God knows my heart. I want to live for him. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, you got to be willing to, to put all those things aside. And hey, you got to even be dead to who you are and your own identity and, and your own person and your own beliefs and say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to live for you. Amen. You say die and live for him? Yeah. Because you'll never live for him until you die. You won't. You won't be his disciple. You won't be counted amongst the few. If you won't take up your cross, you're not worthy of him. The ability for you to be a disciple is not simply being a follower. There were a multitude of followers. There was a multitude of people who followed after Jesus. Maybe it was because of this miracle and that miracle, or maybe because they fed him. But a follower that is also a forsaker of all things, even himself, is the one who set himself up to, to follow and be a disciple of Christ. Forsaking all things and even yourself. You heard the oath of enlistment. I love, I love hearing them say that. I do solemnly swear, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Boy, it just does something. You know what he's saying? You know what they're saying right there? I'm willing, as a citizen of the United States, to forsake all relationships, to forsake all comforts of home, to forsake all things that are familiar to me as a normal citizen of the United States, to take up arms and be a defender of the person next to me, on my right and on my left, and to be a fender of freedom, and even to defend and liberate those who may not even agree with us, who may not be one of us. I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna be counted amongst the less than 1% of those people, of my day, of my peers. And if I must, I'll be counted amongst those 1.2 million who gave their life as a soldier. But here tonight, I'm talking to soldiers of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to ask you these questions. Do you understand that you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, equipped by way of discipleship in Sunday school, and have been and have the proper tools found in the Bible to be able to carry out the task before you? I think we can all agree to that. 
Do you understand that your primary target is to reach every boy and girl and mom and dad and bus kid and blue collar worker and grocery store worker and bank teller and co-worker that you are to go not only here but to the uttermost parts of the world in India, in Russia, in North Korea, in Japan, in the Philippines, in Thailand, in Americans, inside of the United States and outside of the United States. Do you understand that? Do you understand that just as Christ was treated, you will be treated? You will be hated by the world and even sometimes your own family. You will be mocked and ridiculed by universities and governments and the scholarly and those who desire to see God erased from history. Do you understand that you must put Jesus before every relationship, every ambition, every career choice, every personal desire, every comfort and personal choices in order to be a true follower of him? Do you understand that in order to be his disciple, you must give him your life? And in doing so, you may be called upon to give your own life for him. Do you believe that Jesus is worthy to give your life for? It's an implied statement that if we're not, if we can't do these things, we're not worthy of him, that means he is worthy. You say, well, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, it, it really is. But we're so hung up on ourselves that we don't want to live selflessly. We live selfishly. Is Jesus worthy to give your life for? If so, will you come tonight and give your life over to him? If he's worthy... You say, well, I'm saved and I, I'm a member of Southwest Baptist Church. Man, I'm so thankful for that. You've been empowered. The moment that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came inside of your heart and it dwells in you and took camp inside your life. And by way of, of reading and living for Christ and walking in him, you can be, you can be empowered to serve God. And you have a target. You have a people. There's, they're, they're right across the street. They're in your buses every Sunday morning. They're, they're, they're all over the world as you send missionaries to Sri Lanka and Thailand and all over, the, all over the place. We have a target. Oh, and just in case you didn't know, you can just click on the news. There's a world out there. They don't want anything to do with you. The first time they hear the name of Jesus, they may turn you off. They may mock at you. They may scoff at you. They may ridicule you. They may even scourge you one day. But fear not. For God takes account of those who serve him and are his disciples. But you can do all of those things and still in your heart Give reservation to so much more than Jesus. And you'll stand here tonight, not really a disciple. You say, what do you mean? You could be actively serving here at Southwest Baptist Church. Rob Kitchen could be actively on deputation every single week, preaching in a different church. 
and doing all the right things on the outside, but in my heart, I have reservations somewhere else other than fully given to Jesus Christ. And guess what? I am not a disciple because I'm not willing to take up my cross and give my life to him. And I'm not willing to forsake all these things in order to be counted worthy to serve him. And you may sit here tonight and say, well, I didn't enlist, I didn't enlist to do this. I didn't sign up for this. Well, if you're born again and you're saved, I dare say when the word's preached and the Bible is held forth and the word's lifted up, something starts stirring inside of your heart. And you may not understand what it is at first, but one day you're going to understand that that's a, that's a desire to serve and to sacrifice and to be more like him. And maybe it goes even further than that. Maybe not just serving here at your local church, but maybe God's calling you into some kind of specialty service. Not just amongst the normal day-to-day grind, and I, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but maybe God's called you to go beyond just your service here at Southwest Baptist Church, but to go abroad, to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor, to stand up and proclaim God's word. Doesn't mean that you're any less of a servant Will you be the 1% or will you just be one of the following multitudes living from sign to sign and miracle to miracle, following the crowds? Not all that proclaim the name of Jesus will be considered a disciple of him, but all should be willing to give our life for the very one who gave up the glories of heaven that we might be saved. So give your life to him because he's worthy. And then go into the harvest where the battle is raging. Be amongst the few. Hear your commander tonight as Jesus rallied his troops. Disciple, there's a war. You're fixing to walk out those doors. And you're in the war zone. Do you know who you're fighting for? Are you fully willing and prepared to give your life for him? Not if you haven't given your life to him. It's a nice night that you can do that. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand with me? You see, I'm just fine sitting in my pew, kind of going unnoticed. He didn't call you to that. He didn't save you for that. He saved you so that you could give your life to serve him. Well, I'm good just being a citizen of the United States, yeah, but boy, I sure want, I sure want to serve my country because I loved it. Man, how much more should I want to serve my Savior because I love him and he loves me and he is worthy 
to be served. He's worthy of my life and he's worthy of your life. So tonight, will you come do business with him? You say, I need a recommission. I need a re-up. Tonight's tonight, re-up. I need to rededicate and say, Lord, I've, I've backed off. I've kind of fallen into the crowds. We're going into the battle and somebody's counting on me to, to fight. My Lord needs to know that I'll give him everything. Will you? Lord, I pray you'd bless this invitation now tonight. We've heard a message that has called us to serve you without any reservations. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts here even right now as many are praying and some would still need to come to seriously consider their life and where they are with you to surrender themselves to you, to die to self, to take up the cross. God, I pray you'd help us tonight. Let us not hear a message like this and just let it pass by without responding. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 489, I have decided to follow Jesus. Would you come here tonight and join these others that have already as Brother Aaron leads us?